Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. With the word open before us, let us go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto you, Lord, that you have given us your word, the light, the path before us, and to guide our steps. We pray, Lord, that your word would do that in this hour. Lord, as we come to learn from you. Lord, help us with the Holy Spirit, not only to hear the words, but to convict our hearts, to be able to see the great calling which you have put upon us as disciples, to go into the nation and to preach the gospel which you have given us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word Lord from Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 30. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you, When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and proclaimed and the people should, that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why These miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, He is Elijah. And others said, He is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I have, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' daughter came in and danced, he pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. He bowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said, to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison, 
and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Who will go? Great question to ask. Who will go and make disciples? Whose job is it to go? Where are you to go? What are the costs of going? It doesn't take long to read biographies of missionaries who have gone to uncharted territories, to tribes and nations, and confronted with persecution. It doesn't take long for you to read of past missionaries who have gone to places where no other men and women have gone to be able to proclaim the same gospel. What are the costs that you're willing to pay? Who will go? Today, in Mark chapter 6, we see the realities of discipleship. Jesus previously did not receive honor in His hometown. They, the response was not joy and adoration, falling down at His feet, bowing down as we'd seen in chapter 5, but of one where they were offended by Him. They were unbelief fueled them. But here, in chapter 6, we see the realities of discipleship. And In Mark chapter 6, verses 7-13, to we see Jesus send His disciples out to be able to go preach the Gospel, to be able to cast out uh, unclean spirits. But then, Mark includes this story between when He sends His disciples out and when they return of John the Baptist. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, it just seems like they're not well ordered in their thinking. It's like they're writing a story and this other story pops into their head and then they, oh, let's get back to sending them out. But this is a deliberate thing we've seen before of the technical term of sandwiching of uh, Mark. He's done this before. He interrupts a story with an important other part for us to be able to understand the, as a whole. And here, he is sent out and as we saw in our first sermon on Mark, this Papias, the bishop of the church of Herodia her, uh, in this city, recorded what he had heard from an older friend, that Mark, having become the interpreter of Peter, so Mark is here writing the Gospel of Peter, through, you know, Mark is the one writing it down, wrote down accurately whatever he remembered of the things said and done by the Lord. But, however, not in order. That here, Mark, it's not necessarily done in order, but he's doing it to be able to uh, show the point and uh, to emphasize a point. In the Gospel of Matthew, after the twelve are sent out, it, Matthew expands on the teaching of Jesus of persecution, about not having fear and warnings over the things who do, the people who do not hear his message. However, Mark gives us the story of John the Baptist and what happens. John the Baptist, the high price he paid. The first, we'll start with the first section that they were sent out to proclaim in verses 7 to 13. First thing they're sent out to proclaim is they're sent out with authority. We see this in verse 7. He called to the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. 
Christ calls his disciples to follow him, and they've been with him. Now, he tells them to go be fishers of men, to go be sent out. He told right in the beginning of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, that you're, you're going to be fishers of men. Now he goes and tells them to go fish for men. He's given them the secrets of the kingdom. We saw this in the parable of the sower. Now he is, calls them to be able to send them out. The Greek word which is translated sent out, ostelos, is uh, apostello. The verb is to, to be sent out. This is where we get the word apostles. That they're 12 sent out ones, 12 people that have been sent out. They're sent out and they're given authority by Christ. And that's exactly what an, an apostle does. A messenger who is sent out with the authority of the one who sends them out. Exactly what happens in, in when we have an ambassador. The ambassador goes and represents the country which they're representing, they're the ambassador to, and they go and they speak on behalf of the country. They go and speak and perform tasks on the, on the role of the country. And this is exactly what the apostles are done. The apostles are sent out to represent and be Christ, to carry his message uh, to others. Just as the crowd was amazed at Jesus' teaching and what he had done with his unclean spirits, the apostles... It do exactly that. And that's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, that we are ambassadors of Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And the disciples get their authority, which is their mission, their ministry, and their message, all from Christ. This is exactly what Christ does before He ascends up into heaven. He gives them, He sends them out, go. He gives them what they're meant to do, their task they're meant to accomplish, to make disciples. And how are you to make disciples? Go unto all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you to do, and I am with you until the end of the age. He gives them their ministry, their mission, and the message which they are to do. Their authority comes through Christ. Christ sends them out, these twelve men, on a particular task, don't deviate from this task. Focus on this task. Your job is to proclaim the exact same message that Christ proclaimed. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. And they're to do the exact same signs that accompanied Christ to prove his message, cast out unclean spirits. And that's exactly what they did. Mark one twenty seven explains that the crowd was all amazed. They questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? The new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His teaching and the unclean spirits go hand in hand, and this is exactly what Christ does to send them out. And he sends them out two by two as faithful witnesses. In the Old Testament law, it was required that you'd have two witnesses to be able to attest to witnessing a crime to show the faithfulness of that. And that's exactly what Christ does here. Sends them out two by two to be able to attest to the truth of the Gospel. He sends them out with authority and then He sends them out with instruction. He gives three instructions to the disciples about what they are to do. And we see this in verses 8 to 11. He tells them what to take. 
He tells them where to stay, and he tells them how to leave. Firstly, he tells them what to take. And some have tried to unpack this. What does it mean to take no bread, and what does it mean to have no money in your belts? And some have tried to uh, link this. This is what philosophers would do around this time. There's no real connection between the philosophers that people have studied in this area of Galilee or this region of Israel at this time. I think it's a broad um, uh, miss, really. But it, it actually more reflects in Exodus 12, verse 11, when they're talking about the Passover and God tells His people in Exodus 12, in this manner, you shall eat it with your back belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. What, quite simply, I think what he's telling them what to take is to be re- ready to leave at any moment. Pack light. Shows the urgency of their mission to, to move, to go. But also shows their dependency on God. Pack light so you're prepared to go, but also don't take any additional items to show that your lack of dependence on God to be able to sustain you on your journey. Exodus, they were sent out, they wandered in the wilderness, and they were sustained by God. God gave them food. God gave them clothes that did not fall apart, sandals that did not uh, fall apart either. And Jesus sends His disciples out figuratively into the wilderness, showing their dependence on God. Not to rely on their own strength or their own abilities, but dependent on God to sustain, protect, and provide for them. The second instruction Christ gives is where they are to stay. And He tells them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Now, hospitality was very important in that society. You move to another host house, it might offend the first person. You could constantly just be trying to find the most comfortable house you have. But I think this commandment just speaks about the temporary nature that you are as, as a missionary going. Don't make yourself home there. You're on a mission. Don't get too comfortable. The purpose of the mission is not to find a nice house to live in, but to proclaim the Gospel. To call people to repentance. The disciples should not spend all their time trying to find a house to stay in, but don't get too comfortable. Keep moving. And the last instruction he gives them is how to leave the town. He sends them out. And we're told of this right after Jesus was uh, a rock of offense to those in his home town. His hometown has rejected Jesus. Now he sends his disciples out, knowing that. Some towns would reject them as well. Disciples should not be surprised when they walk into a city and they reject them. They're called to preach. They're not called to change hearts. Changing hearts is the work of the Holy Spirit. We learned about in the parable of the sleeping sower. To sow the seed. And that is what they're called to do. To go and sow the seed. Not to change hearts. Not to cause the growth. Because it's God who causes the growth. The disciples are to go in town, in town to town to proclaim the message of Christ. But there will be people who do not understand. There will be seeds that are sown that will fall on rocky ground. They might 
indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. In the, Mar- in, the, in the book of Acts, it actually shows the reality of this teaching in chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas are sent two by two, as you notice, into a city. And they come into Antioch, and they proclaim the gospel there. And the Gentiles come and they heard the gospel with glad hearts. They heard the gospel and they, they repented and they, they uh, worshipped God, heard the word and believed. However, the Jews stirred up strife and persecution, and they ended up driving Paul and Barnabas out of the district. Following this, in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas take the dust off their feet. In, in chapter 18, Paul shakes off the dust off his garments and he explains the purpose of what he is doing when he shakes off the dust of the government, garment. Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent, he explains in Acts chapter 18, verse 6. Those who reject the Word of God will face severe judgment. The role of the the apostles is to be sent to be able to preach the gospel, not to be able to change hearts. If their hearts are not changed, then separate yourself from them. Taking the dust off your feet shows that you are separating yourself with them. You don't want to be associated with them. And in some translations, like the King James and the New King James, they include the, the verse which is found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15. It says, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. It's saying you'd be better to go and live in Sodom and Gomorrah than this town here. You want to disassociate yourself with them. You don't want to be linked at all to their uh, crimes, you might say. So he sends them out with the message to proclaim, and the last thing we see is sent out with a message in verses 12 to 13. Finally, the disciples come out and they proclaim the same, they carry out the same mission, ministry, and message of Jesus. Jesus preached repentance. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what the disciples, the apostles, went out and preached. Jesus cast out unclean spirits. That's exactly what His disciples did. Mark explains that they're sent out as sheep amongst wolves. They're sent out and they're hated just as Jesus was hated. They represent Christ. They go out there carrying the authority of Christ. The message of Christ. The ministry of Christ. The mission of Christ. They are indeed ambassadors of God. They're sent out on this mission by Him. Claiming the same message and performing the same ministry underneath His authority. We too are called to be able to do the exact same thing. We are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Christ in our interactions with other people. We pray that they would notice our Christ-likeness, not our own personalities. We pray that we would be like Christ as we go 
into homes of others as we meet with people. We would carry the same message and ministry. Of course, we all, of course, we're all sent out. But being sent out has reality attached to it. This follows Christ being rejected in his hometown. You couldn't get past those five questions. Here, Mark inserts the story of John the Baptist as one who is sent out before, sent by God as a messenger to go proclaim repentance. John was the forerunner to Christ. We've seen this before. In Mark 1.14, we're told that John the Baptist was arrested. But up to that point, we haven't heard anything more about John the Baptist. We knew he was arrested as Christ began his ministry. But now, Mark explains what exactly happened to John. This is the cost of being a disciple who is sent out proclaiming the gospel of repentance. First thing that we see perplexed by Christ in verses 14 and 16. Jesus has gone on His ministry. We don't know exactly the time frame here, but Jesus has gone on His ministry and people have heard about Him from all over as He crossed over the Sea of Galilee proclaimed the Gospel to that man who had the demons cast out of Him. He goes then and He's the Gospel minister sent out in that region. But people have heard of him even from chapter 1, verse 27. He's become very popular. People, the word is spreading. And the word finally comes to King Herod's house. And we'll get back to who Herod is. But ultimately, as the Gospel of Mark centers around this question, who do you say Jesus is? This question comes up, who does Herod's house say that Jesus is? This is what has perplexed him. He's heard about Jesus' miracles. His mighty works. He wants to know more about them. And the people around him say that he is Elijah, or like the prophets of old. Again, we've made this connection that the prophets of old not only carry the word of God, but they have signs that attest to the word of God as true. This is what Jesus does. He comes with the word of God. He has signs which attest to that as well. However, there's something in the back of Herod's mind that is eating away at him. His conscience. His guilt. You see, Herod beheaded John the Baptist. And he thought that John the Baptist had come back to life. Before we look at how and why John the Baptist was beheaded, let's look at the second point here, that prison prison with John in verses 17 to 20. Now we need to understand more about Herod and his family. Now if you're ever reading the Bible, the household of Herod is probably one of the best uh, political houses to delve into to understand many people in the Bible. You look uh, through the Bible, you'll find many people called Herod. Now, this man here in Mark chapter 6 is Herod Antipas. He ruled the region of Galilee, 
which is this area, the top of Israel, from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. But Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. Now you can see how this is already confusing, right? You meet, you know, you meet a family, and here's William. You've got Bill and Billy, William the first, William the second, William the third. Now they don't call them in the Bible; they just call them Herod. So we very, it can be very confusing. But here, you need to understand Herod the Great. He ruled, and he really rose up from nothing and built the the nation of Israel back up in the Roman eyes. Herod the Great ruled, and he died in about 4 B.C. Herod the Great is the Herod that we know from the Christmas story. That's the Herod that we find in Matthew chapter 2, who cast, who went out and uh, found out about the king of the Jews. He was offended because he was called the king of the Jews. So he goes to find all the children underneath two, year old, two years old. He commits that mass genocide of them. So, but right before Herod the Great died, all of his kingdom was going to be left to Herod Antipas, one of his sons. But right before he died, he changed his will. There was a big uh, kerfuffle, you might say, people in court cases, as you might imagine. But he left it to four of his children. Three of which, you've guessed it, called Herod. So, he leaves his four parts of his uh, kingdom to these four children. This is where we get the word tetrarch, means ruler of four. He divides it up, so you might have heard the tetrarch. You might have heard that phrase before. He's a ruler of a quarter. So he leaves it to four children. Herod Antipas up in Galilee. And these kind of groups are based in ethnic uh, groups. So Herod Archelaus is Judea and Idumea. He's uh, after Herod dies in Matthew 2, 2 verse 22. Here's Herod uh, Archelaus comes in. Herod Antipas in Galilee. Herod Philip east of Jordan. His daughter Salome first. He leaves her three cities to be able to rule. Herod Archelaus dies in 6 A.D. And then succeeded by Herod the Great's grandson. Guess what? Herod. Agrippa the first. Uh, you know him from Acts chapter 12, verse 22. But the Herodian dynasty is very, very important in, uh, as you read through the Bible, as you read a person called Herod, they're very, they're different. Plays a predominant role in Christ's ministry. But even in the early church, as you read through Acts, you might have heard the name Felix, Agrippa II, Bernice. They were all descendants from Herod the Great. This family has many exciting stories to look into, but for now, let's focus on the story of what has brought about this occasion in Mark chapter 6. There Herod Antipas, married to his first wife, daughter of a king in another region. But Herod Antipas divorced his wife, his first wife, and then married Herodias. That name's original, right? Married Herodias. But Herodias was married to his brother, 
Herod Philip. Think about your Thanksgiving is interesting to get around. Maybe uh, you think about their Thanksgiving. But John the Baptist was put in prison by Herod Antipas because John had been calling him to repentance. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herod Philip's brother, Herodias, was now Herod Antipas's wife. And he called him to continually repent, bringing up the law. But Herodias and Herod Antipas had different reactions to their call to repentance. Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted John the Baptist put to death. But she could not do so. However, Herod Antipas feared John, knew he was righteous and holy, but he heard the message and he heard it gladly. But he did not repent. He was like the seed who fell among the thorns. He heard the word, but the cares and the deceitful cares of the world, deceitfulness of the riches, and the desires of other things enter in and choke in the word, and it proves unfruitful. He heard the word, he heard it joyfully. But he's worried more about his political status. He fears man more than he fears God. He heard that the Herodians. In Mark chapter 3, along with the Pharisees, seek to destroy Jesus. Sad reality, Herod Antipas probably thought he would have more time. However, ultimately, he did not listen. He did not heed the words of John the Baptist. This brings us to the main story in this section, which is the party to remember. In verses 21-29. to 29. However, Herod Antipas was, did underestimate the grudge that Herodias had against John the Baptist. Herod threw himself a large birthday party. And Mark explains that many men in high places, nobles, military commanders, and the leading men in Galilee all came together to celebrate Herod's birthday. As you can imagine, in this perverse family, his father had two of his sons executed. He was married about ten times. He ordered the massacre of the children under two. So as you could imagine, when we hear that he threw himself a birthday party, do not think of you know, the young children's birthday party, innocent. But you need to think more of a night in Las Vegas that ends with a head placed on a platter. And Herodias' daughter comes in and dances for Herod and his gentleman friends. Now, the depravity of this situation is hard really to be able to fathom. Most likely as some form of sexual dance. Herod is probably heavily intoxicated, surrounded by these men cheering him on, and there he makes a vow to his daughter. This is the opportunity that Herodias has been waiting to seize. He instructs her daughter exactly what to ask. Herod, in front of these men in high places, Herodias' daughter asks for one thing, John the, head, John the Baptist's head on a platter. Sadly enough though, Herod did not listen to his conscience. He listened to the people around him. Those cheering him on. Those who are encouraging him. They explain two things 
in Mark. And he explains, the king was exceedingly sorry, but his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. On one side, he was sorry. His conscience was there. But there's two things that stop him that spoke louder than his conscience. This foolish vow that he makes, but also the people that surround him. The trite heart was quieter than those who were cheering and encouraging him. He ultimately would have been better not to make this foolish promise. The fear of man was greater in Herod's life than the fear of God. Luke shares the account when Herod actually finally gets to meet Jesus. Herod seeks to see a sign from Jesus as he heard of his miraculous powers. See this in Luke chapter 23. However, in this moment, there is no sign and there is no message. Those two things need to go hand in hand. The Word and the miracle. And Jesus stands silent before Him. But Herod doesn't come and worship Jesus or fall down before Him. Herod treats Him contemptuously and mocks Him. Sinclair Ferguson speaks of this and he says, unless we silence sin, sin will silence conscience. Unless we heed God's Word, that day may come when we despise God's Son. And then God will have nothing more to us to say to us. Herod's guilt and fear of John the Baptist do not account for anything. You do not heed the words to repent. But then Mark goes from this story of John the Baptist, the one sent by God to preach repentance, who does go and preach repentance. The cost of that. And then he records in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and the apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done. They were sent out to preach repentance just as John the Baptist did. Mark is most likely written to Christians who are in Rome. And Rome is known for their persecutions of Christians placed in large arenas to face wild animals. Persecuted for sharing the Gospel. The cost of discipleship was real. We see it in this passage. John the Baptist did exactly what he was called to do, what he was sent to do to go preach repentance. Yet he was imprisoned and beheaded. He was sent to proclaim repentance and the hope of eternal life. But it cost him his. Mark writes later in chapter 16 that these women come out of the tomb who are told to go and proclaim Christ's resurrection to His disciples. Mark chapter 16, verse 8, says they went out and fled from the tomb. And trembling and astonishment had seized them. They had seen nothing. They had said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were sent out to proclaim the gospel, the glorious news of Christ's resurrection, but they were afraid. Being sent out by God to preach the gospel is costly. Some people lose friends, family, their reputation or occupation, 
while others lose their lives. It's understood the ten of the twelve apostles that were sent out in this chapter died because of persecution for proclaiming the gospel. Judas hangs himself. John dies naturally. There's one account in Acts chapter 12 that actually speaks of one of these apostles dying. The beginning of Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. About that time, Herod, Herod Agrippa, Herod's grandson, the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, proceeded to arrest Peter also. Persecution has faced the church time and time again. We live in a day and an age where we are blessed. We are not persecuted. We do not sneak into this building one at a time that no one knows what is happening within these walls. Yet persecution will come. Those who desire to live a godly life, Paul writes in Timothy, will be persecuted. The disciples sent out the claim of message of repentance and hope are persecuted. Ten of them die preaching the Gospel. William Secker says, Religion is the phoenix that will always flourish on its own ashes. While magistrates defend truth with their sword, Martyrs defend it with their blood. We are sent out into a world that will not listen. Like Herodias, some of them will hold a grudge. But we are sent out, nevertheless, to sow seeds that some may grow. That God will change hearts. We are sent out as a seed Stone in weakness to be raised in glory. And discipleship has its great costs to pay. Free gift of grace. On one hand it's free, but on the other it's very costly. Him famously says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Who is willing to go? Who is willing to go and proclaim the great glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ to all the nations? Who is ready to tell others of Jesus' salvation, the hope of repentance and and the glorious nature of Christ's resurrection and the resurrection to come, the hope of heaven found in Christ? Who will go? The question we need to constantly ask ourselves we see that discipleship is costly to all those who proclaim the same message that Christ did. Let's go to Lord in prayer. O oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks to You. We give thanks to You that You have saved us. Lord, that our comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own, that we are bought body and soul by our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, let us live this day understanding that we are not our own. Lord, that this love so amazing, so divine, demands our soul and our life. Lord, let us live each day realizing that we are not our own. 
Lord, give us the courage to be able to proclaim the Gospel in all circumstances, no matter what may happen to our body. Lord, they may be able to take, uh, separate our body from our head, but they will never be able to separate You from us. Lord, let us understand that You are forever with us, for You are with us till the end of the age. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.